Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are uh, studying this morning something you are all familiar with. Um, we are in Parshat Naso, um, but to be clear, the Jewish world from now until uh, about six weeks from now are going to be split be- because Shab- second day of Shavuot happened on Shabbat. There is a special reading for y'all. I will tell you. It's okay. I will tell you. you. You will get there. There's no reason for you to know until we get there. Oh my God. So um, the Jewish world was reading second day Shavuot, the special reading for Shavuot on that Shabbat because it was second day Shavuot on Shabbat. Those of us who don't do second day Shavuot, so people living in the land of Israel, reform and reconstructionist Jews do not celebrate second day Shavuot. So the, that part of the Jewish world, we would have read, had we been here, we would have read Parshat Naso, right? So so that puts Israel and uh Reconstructionist Jews and Reformed Jews who read on that Luach, on that calendar, it puts us apart from the rest of the Jewish world who would have read Second Day Shavuot last Shabbat and are reading Naso this week. Because we didn't gather, I'm choosing to do Naso this week, so we will be on the same calendar as most of American Jewry. We will be out of step with Israel and the Reconstructionist movement. The second day of Chag was created outside the land of Israel because uh, it, at a time when the enemy was in charge, they were trying to disrupt Jewish continuity by disrupting the calendar. The, the new moon was declared by the court. And so then when the court declared the new moon, then you had a way to count 14 days from the new Month was your holiday. Let's say Passover. So that's Chag. That's your, that's Yuntif, right? So how did the Sanhedrin let everybody know that they had declared the new moon? They lit signal fires, saying the new moon has been seen. It's been declared. It is now the new moon. Um, the enemy decided to disrupt that system by lighting fake fires. Um, and the further you went away from that declaration the longer that signal fire took for you to see so then there becomes some doubt about when exactly is the new moon and so the the rabbis instituted a second day of Chag to make sure that all jews would have an opportunity to celebrate the festival together at some point during those two days so, but Kaplan and the founders of Reconstructionist Judaism said, we live in the American civilization. We don't live in ancient Israel. And even Israelis have calendars now. Like we know when the new moon is. We know it for the next however many years. Like there's not any doubt about it anymore. So, um, so we don't need that. And why would we want to be different on a different calendar than the people in the land of Israel? We know when the holiday is. Let's just celebrate the holiday like they do in Israel. and be done with all this mumbo jumbo about two days, blah, blah, blah. Having said all that, we are going to not be reading with Israel and the Reconstructionist movement because we didn't meet last week. And I figure we'll just do Naso and makes the life a lot easier. So we're going to um, look at the part of Naso that is super famous uh, to all of us. And that is the text of the priestly benediction. So that's what we're going to study today. Um, we're going to look at that text. We're going to unpack that text a little bit. And then we're going to look at, of course, as always, commentary around it. Having said that, I can't even begin to scratch the surface of commentary and the many, 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 you know, m- decades, millennia of commentary on the priestly benediction. So I'm not trying to be comprehensive, just so you know. We could spend six classes talking about the historical development of the understanding of this bracha from the biblical period all the way through rabbinic period, you know, Midrash, Talmud, you know, 
all the way through the medieval period and into the modern and contemporary period, but we're not going to do that Um, because that survey would be an interesting one, but it would be massive, like really huge. So I'm just giving you a couple of things that, um, because Robin keeps telling me, she keeps trying to encourage me to continue on this path that, you know, I left the triennial reading path and now we're reading on whatever Amy wants to do this week path. Um, and so, Sam's clapping. So I, um, I'm, so I'm bringing you stuff that I, that I just resonated with that I thought was really beautiful. So that we're just scratching, scratching the surface. All right. So we know the Birkat Kohanim, um, from this Parsha, it comes from, um, it comes from, as we'll see the commandment of God to have the priests bless the people. So this is not, we call it the priestly benediction, but it's not, it's not the priest's blessing, this is not that. This is God's blessing to the people. This is God blessing the people using the priests, right, as the mechanism for that. So so it's kind of a name that is a little misleading. That's the priestly blessing. It's not the priestly blessing. It's God's blessing, right? The priests are the are the agents, right, of that of that bracha. Okay, so the text will be in uh, chapter six of the book of Numbers. We've talked a little bit about the book of Numbers. We've talked a little bit about, um, we talked a little bit about Zornberg's kind of dark interpretation. Not that she meant it to be dark, but we talked about, right, that this book is really the book of tragedy. It's the book of failure. Um, it's the book of the, this generation's only job is to die once the decree happens in chapter 12. So, um, and we all know that's coming. So we're all reading this, knowing what's coming in chapter 12. All right. Um, chapter six, verse 22. By Daber Adonai And God speaks to Moshe saying, Daber el Aharon ve'el banav lemor, kotivarchu et b'nei Yisrael amor lahem. Speak to Aaron and to his sons saying, so now we get quotation marks. So shall you bless the people of Israel. Say to them, and now we get other quotation marks, right? So we get the quotation that God is talking, saying, so shall you say to Aaron, here's the quote. So shall you bless the people of Israel. And now those inner quotes, here's the thing you're supposed to tell them to tell, to say on them, right? So notice the structure of the bracha. So without even unpacking it yet, um, you can't get it from the English. You have to see it in the Hebrew. If you look at the Hebrew, verse 24, 25, 26, you don't have to speak Hebrew. Those of you in the in the room, if you look up at the screen, I will show you. Look at the bracha, 24, 25, 26. You do not have to understand Hebrew to understand. There is a verb the name of God, and then another verb, right? That's the first line, three words. There's a verb, the name of God, and here's another verb, five words. Now verse 26, a verb, the name of God, blah, 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 another verb, okay? That is the structure of the bracha. This is seven words. So the structure is three, five, seven. That is significant. The three, five, seven structure is, is a common one in the ancient Near East. Um, so this is, this is purposeful that we get three words, then five words, then seven words. The structure is a verb, yud hey vav hey, another verb. There's only one, there's only like there's, there's a verb before. And then the, the other stuff is like panav elecha, his God's face toward you which is modifying that first verb and then another verb and be gracious to you, right? So verb, God's name, another action, right? By God. So a verb that God's going to do, God's name, then another thing that God is going to do is is the structure of the blessing. So this is all action by God. Those are good things, all these things. So the blessing is that God should do all these verbs for the people Israel. Okay. All right. Huh? 
thus so so shall you thus shall you mark asks, what's the word co all right <laughs> all right so thus shall you say and so the, this is how you shall bless them all right so what is the shoresh? What's the root of this first word, this first verb in 24? Again, you don't have to know a lot of Hebrew to see if you read Hebrew at all. Bet Whenever we see what are we talking about? Baruch. We're talking about blessing. Whenever we talk about in a row, it doesn't matter what other letters are around it. If you have a b, a r, and a ch in the in a row, you are talking about something about blessing. Okay, so yivarecha may God bless you, singular, right? So each of you. So this blessing is to each individual Israelite. It's not a collective bracha. We've seen collective, but this is very much an individual bracha to each Israelite. Individual male, I would say. (laughs) Of course, because that's the default gender. In a gendered language, male is the default gender. It does not imply women are excluded in any way, right? If, if If you have 10 men in one woman, I mean, if you have 10 women in one man, you use the masculine. So it always defaults in any gendered language to the male masculine gender we don't have to like that that's just how it is well we don't really have gender in english right well hopefully not anymore (laughs) i don't think we do anymore but but once upon a time yes all men are created equal did not suggest women don't exist or we're not considered human right but and (laughs) and it excluded african-american men obviously Right. Okay. All right. So Yivarechacha, may God bless you, because in Hebrew, the subject follows the verb. Yivarechacha, that Yud in front lets us know it's him doing something. Who's the him? That comes after the action. Right. So bless you, may he, God. Does that make sense? So may he bless you, comma, God, the Yishmarecha. So the, so the, who's doing the action comes after the verb in Hebrew. So we would say in English, may God bless you, because the sub, the, whoever's doing the action precedes the verb in English. May God bless you, the Yishmarecha. Whenever you get Shemre in a row, what are we talking about, Rita Ephros? Shamor. Yes, we're talking about Shamor. We're talking about observing. We're talking about guarding. We're talking about keeping. Shabbat, shamor Shabbat, right? People who are shomer Shabbat, then it is a person who observes, keeps, protects, guards the Shabbat. That is the same verb here. May God bless you and shamor you. Whatever word you want to use there, right? Usually we're here translated keep you. Right? Just like we keep Shabbat. What does that mean? It means we guard, protect, right? Do something about um being careful about, right? Attending to, right, the business of Shabbat. So may God bless you and may God shamor you. Ya'er. So this is the verb here is Ya'er from or. What is or? Light. So may God light. Right? Here we have the verb light up. Adonai, so who's doing it? God. So may God light what? Huh? Not your face. So may God light God's face, Elecha, to you, towards you. Okay? So that's one way it's often translated, right? Um, But it's literally may God light up God's face towards you. And what's chen? Grace. Chen is grace. Now, you've heard me translate it a million times. Tell me what you would say the verb is for grace. Hmm? This is why it's hard to translate. Right? How, what's the verb? This, chen is grace. What's the verb for grace? So that's how it often gets translated. Be gracious. <laughs> like, like, 
really like it's terrible it's terrible it's terrible in english what verb would you use gracify right 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 so because it just it, it just it's just so weak in english right so may may god light up god's face towards you and gracify I'm looking you. for the new dictionary coming out. Yeah, right. Well, there's a lot of terms from this class. Well, we'll fill us with grace or fill them with grace? No, there's no filling. No, no filling. <laughs> no fit gracify. Right. There's no filling here. It's a it's an action about grace. There's no filling. Because it would be filling with grace. You're talking about the noun. The verb then becomes filling. The verb is not filling. The verb is Gracing, gracifying. Yes. All right. Now, what's the third? Here we get the verb. And who's doing it? God. So what is the verb? Yisa. To lift up. The same way we get no se avon, who lifts sin. No se avon vafesha bechatav We say this at the high holidays. No se avon vafesha bechatav Right? So who lifts what is God lifting here? May God lift Hanav, God's face, Elecha, toward you, Vayasem, and place, Sim Shalom, Sim, place, put, and put Lecha towards you, Shalom. And you know how I feel about the word peace. Um, Shalem in Hebrew means whole. So what is the state that one would experience were one to experience wholeness? <laughs> department of redundancy department. No. <laughs> right. Now God's grace might result in our wholeness. So then what would we experience? Right. Shalom. I, fill in the blank. Correct. So peace is a terrible translation, really, of of what the Hebrew means. Yes, it's not inaccurate that it means peace. Yes. But but in Hebrew, you don't have to say peace. You're saying shalom. So in Hebrew, you're saying something that already contains the root shalem. So people who are speaking Hebrew, when they say peace, they don't mean peace. They mean something much bigger, much deeper than an absence of violence. It, it is the state one would experience were one to be whole. What does that mean as an individual? What does that mean as a community? What does that mean as a congregation? What does that mean as a nation? What does it mean as a world community? If we were whole, that's the vision of Shalom, right? Okay. Vesamu et shmi al Yisrael. So they, meaning the priests, so now we're done with the bracha, we'll, we'll unpack it. And they shall place my name on the people Israel. Just to be clear, and I, I will bless them. It is very clear who's doing the blessing here. It is, it could not be more clear. We might even ask, why, why does it have to like hammer this so much? I think because in the ancient Near East, like today, there could be confusion that the priests have a power to bestow blessing that is something about the priests, right? That, that that's why they're the ones who get to bless. Uh-uh. This could not make it clearer. God is doing everything that's going to result in good things for us. And, and, and I will be the one to bless them by you putting my name on them. I will take care of the blessing. You are not the blessers. You are the agents. You are the agents. This is different from a Christian understanding of priesthood of a Catholic understanding of priesthood. This is different with the ordination of a priest in Catholicism. They take on the power to, what's it called? Transmogrify, transmogrify the, the bread into being the body of Christ. 
wine into being the blood of Christ. They, they obtain a power when they are, are ordained and to forgive, right, on behalf of God and to make decisions about what that looks like. This is not the idea of Jewish priesthood. Jewish priesthood was, you are my vessels, you are my servants, I do all the blessing. And I know even in Catholicism, God does the forgiving, the priest is the agent, I get that. But there is a difference in their power to do things, right, that that Judaism seems to be making very clear from the beginning, it is not about the priests. I remember as a boy thinking about when I learned about God and kind of believe he's all powerful if there's a God. So my question is, uh, and, and, uh, it's a little bit like thinking in chess, but it's a little bit subtle. But what I'm wondering is for me, God does not need the priest to bless the people. The people need the, the priest to uh, experience that because their faith is not great enough. Or how does that work? Because to me, if God wants to bless somebody, you could fight like live in hell and you'll still be blessed. Yeah. You right. don't need a sign. Or, or So we don't get an explanation about why this system is the way it is. You can have your interpretation, which we all can, that we people need, right? We need some agent of that for us to like have it feel more concrete, more real. Um, but anytime anthropologically you try to explain why a people has a certain ritual, you're, oh. you're already backwards. People created this, not God. Oh. People created this. Oh. So why did they do it? What was their need? We don't know. Yeah. We can we can guess and discuss, but it you know, most likely, of course, we like some more direct kind of relationship to an ephemeral sense of an invisible force giving us an invisible bracha. So anthropologically, you could say, okay, that makes sense. My basic question that's was, fair. Then God did not need the priest to bless the priest. God doesn't need anything. Okay. God doesn't need anything. Thank you. People created this ritual and created the priesthood and created sacrifice and created everything else, right? So it's it's we people who created this whole business. I think there's some ego involved also. People like to be the one who's in charge. And we still have the saying, by the power vested in me, that is part of priesthood. I, I don't think I hear that in... In the synagogue. Yes. I do. Hey, no, you no, don't hear it in the synagogue. Church. You hear it when I do a wedding. Okay. The power vested in me is the power vested in me by the state. It's a legal power. So what you're saying is the power vested in me to create a marriage here, a legal union of your lives. That's what we're saying is I have been vested with the power to pronounce you blah, blah, blah. But you hear that in the churches. Every time they pass out the bread and the wine by the power vested in me and you can take your right. Right. A different authority, but it's the same idea, right? That an authority has vested one with the power to change a situation from being single individuals to being a legal family, from being bread and wine to being body and blood. Just a kind of technical question. So when they're referring to priests very often, they say Aaron and his sons, like, is this like a family business or something? Yes. Okay. Yes. Aaron is the first high priest. His sons are the only ones to be priests. So remember, Elazar and Itamar, right, are are going to be priests because Nadav and Avihu are gone. But they're not bringing in other. It's not. No. Yet. That, no. That it is hereditary through the line of Aaron, um, which we've talked a little bit about. So what does that mean for Moshe, right? It's kind of like. Interesting, right? You know, you don't hear Moshe's leadership does not pass to his sons. Aaron's does. Kohen means priest. Okay, so that's just a generic term. It's not a family now. Correct. Kohen was the word for priest. Only that family were Kohanim. So anyone with the name Cohen dis- traces their descent to Aaron and his family. Um. I mean, that's why it became a family name. You were a Kohen. Um, all right. So let's, let's unpack this just a little bit. Seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. May God bless you and may God essentially watch over you, protect you. Right. That seems 
We all want that. That seems pretty straightforward, right? Um, may God light up God's face towards you. The bracha, the blessing is that God should light up God's face towards you. It's not that you see God's face. But you see a light of hope or belief or strength or whatever. Okay. So Judith is suggesting what we see is not God's face, God forbid, but, but if God lights up God's face towards you, what you see is light. Light is a metaphor in Judah's interpretation for hope. Okay. Anybody else? Well, it makes me think of, um, you know, a grandparent or a parent looking at a baby and their face just instantly lights up for no reason other than this baby's beautiful and a baby. Yes. So I also think that this is a metaphor for causing God nachos, right? Like, may God's face light up when God is turned towards you. Just right? because you're there. Just because you're you. Okay. And may God bestow upon you chen, God's grace. What the heck is that? Uh, here comes, wait, here comes Mr. Musar. He's going to talk about chen. I think the grace is always flowing. It's, it's not a faucet, but when it's, may it flow toward connect with it. So I'm going to say, I'm going to respectfully disagree and say, I think bracha is about turning on the faucet. There's always supply. Blessing is about opening what allows the chen to come through. Does that make sense? Right. So that, yes, Hain is always rushing towards us, um, but we have to open the spigot. Right. This is how Marsha fought. Uh, Marsha Prager talks. Rabbi Marsha Prager talks about in the path of blessing, like that we we open the tap. Um, and that's what the priests are doing is opening the tap. We, we open the tap when we say a blessing before we eat, when we say a blessing before lighting candles, when we say a blessing, you know, for Kiddush, we are turning on the tap. And we're supposed to be doing that a lot. We're supposed to be opening the tap a lot because God wants, according to our tradition, constantly wants God's bracha to be flowing into the world. We, we are the agents of how much or how little chen is coming into the world, right? It comes through us. Um, and bracha, our, our practice of bracha, of blessing, is about opening the tap. And the more we do that, the more chen there is in the world. Okay. May God lift up God's face toward you. What's that about? I mean, I can't help but think of the face-to-face um, references within the Bible and the advantages of, of face-to-face contact with God. So maybe it's saying, may you be worthy of a face-to-face contact if that makes sense may you may you be worthy of an encounter an intimate encounter okay not everyone gets that if if god's face is getting lifted up where was god's face before down okay so if god's face is down may god lift up god's face towards you what does that imply you're getting attention you're being noticed Right. If I'm sitting with my head down and somebody says, Rabbi Amy, what happens? I either lift my face towards them to say, I acknowledge you. I see you. I hear you. I, I'm ready for encounter. Or if I'm teed off that they open my office door without knocking for some in the middle of a thought, what might happen? I know you all shudder to think, but like, I'm just, you might keep your head down. Like, don't bother me right now. I'm in the middle of something. Like, and this is, you're not urgent enough to me in this moment for me to look up. So the implication is you're being noticed. I I see you. I'm attending. I'm ready. I'm ready for engagement with you. Right? Um, The way I talk about it when I bless the kids, when I translate this blessing into English, what I say is, may the divine countenance be lifted up because of who you choose to be in the world. May you be the cause of the divine countenance lifting, right? And and like you got my attention in a good way because we have words for God getting God's attention in a bad way, 
right? So that is not what's in, that is not what is implied here. It all, this part also makes me think that not only in addition to, you know, because of who you are in the world, but also when you need it, when you're not doing something, you know, that's great and wonderful, but just because you need God's attention, maybe you're really low or maybe you're lost. Or, but that's who you are in the world at that moment. That's true. Yeah. I, I think there's, an, I guess I took it as an implication of, of all positivity. And, you choose to be someone who can be sad and can own that and can recognize that and can access that right then. Exactly. Um, the Yasem and may God place upon you, I would add the experience of Shalom, the experience of what it means to be whole. So I say to them, may you know the integrity of mind, body, and spirit, which is the blessing of wholeness, the blessing of peace. Because there's no way to unpack that with one word, right? It's just not enough for me to say, and grant you peace. It's just like, it's just not, just doesn't work for me. Um, so, so this, this is to each individual Israelite. We have to imagine that if each individual really felt like this was a reality for them, that this bracha was for real and that this was really happening, might not the entire people experience a kind of wholeness Right. Like, I think it's, it's addressed to the individual, but I can't help but think there's a communal implication there to be blessed with this communally. Right. The, still today, when Duchenin happens in the shul, when the priests get up to bless the Israelites, Jews uh, in a, a conservative all the way over, only conservative and over to the right, do that. But when those people get up, the Kohanim get up to bless the people, right? It is communal, said in the individual, which for me is, again, one of the beauties of the tradition. You are communally gathered, and each of us receives our own individual bracha from the priests. Yes, Linda. Really, what you just said is something that everyone present and beyond should be and could be and hopefully would be affected by that. Nice. Beautiful. All right. I want you to pay attention. We're going to leave share screen. So I want you to see it before I leave the screen. Verse 23. If you look, this word amor, say to them, like here's what you're going to say to them when you bless them. That is usually not written with a vav. Uh, why do I keep doing that? Um, that is usually not written. It's aleph, mem, vav, resh. It is usually not written with this vav. Usually it is aleph, mem, it is usually aleph, mem, a dot, and then the resh. So if you're not using vowels, if you're looking in the Torah, usually amor is aleph, mem, resh. It's implied because you know Hebrew grammar that you have to put in the O. Right. You shall mean you can't say Amar because that's the past. You know, it's Amor say meaning in the future tense. So th there's commentary. That's the only reason I'm pointing this out. So usually that Vav does not appear. Rashi is going to have something to say about why that Vav is here, why it's written differently uh, in this introduction to the priestly benediction. Rita Efros. Hi, I was going to go back to let God's light shine upon you. I'm thinking that if the light is shining on us, we could be reflecting the light. We're sort of a mirror. And that brings us to the idea that every one of us has God-like features within us. Beautiful. So the sun and moon business, right? Like God is the sun. We are the moon, right? That we, we reflect. If light shines on us, we reflect it. Beautiful, beautiful. So that then each of us kind of is covered, right? In divine light. Beautiful. I wanted to say that we are a light among the nations, the light, that we should be the light. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so say more. So wait, 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 wait. Say more. God is shining the light. And it's, but it's within our, it's not within our, it is our obligation in this relationship to shine the light. 
To shine what light? The light of God. As it shines to us, we have to do our godly-like things. That's why we don't believe that it's a, it's all within us. God's within us. And we have the responsibility as good humans to tikkun ulam, to heal the world, to show that wholeness, that peace, that love. So you're suggesting that the bracha, that we have light shine upon us, that we know shalom, that you're, you're suggesting that's not, that's not the point. No, the point is we're supposed to we are supposed do to. something with that. Okay. We're supposed to be guarding. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So those last few verses and then uh, what's your name? Lisa. Lisa, which she shared and the lady there. Uh, so I'm starting and I'm starting to think that uh, another way to look at my question before is that God is also uh allowing us to realize he's within us. And I think there's some scriptural support that uh, our souls are made in the image of likeness of God. So maybe partially all of this activity of blessing and everything is to get us to realize that he's within us and that we're part of the agent of salvation too. And I think that's where the 10 commandments come in because we have a weaker side. (laughs) So the... So the rabbis want to talk, one of them, Sforno, wants to say that the balance of these verbs is partly about balancing what happens. If you consider, I'm going to go back to the text. No, not yet, because you'll start reading them and we're not there yet. So Sforno wants to say, may God bless you is about material wealth. May you know abundance. And that every one of these brachot has both the bless, the good component to it and a protection against what happens to us when we're too in touch with that. So for instance, may God bless you with material wealth and may God keep you from avarice and corruption by that same material wealth, which is a very interesting interpretation. It's not that I buy the interpretation. It's that I think it's very Jewish that it's here, right? That Sforno and people agree with him that it's like, may God bless you with lots of material good stuff and may God keep you from what that can do to you, to the corruption that that can cause, the insensitivity, the you know consumption, the, the I need a bigger boat, I need a bigger boat, I need a bigger boat. You know, because they have a bigger boat, right? And so um, I just love that about a Jewish interpretation of this bracha is that there's, um, you know, ya'er Adonai panabe lecha, may you, you know, may you achieve kind of spiritually, you know, you know, may you spiritually light, you know, be a light. And then what is chen, um, also that we should be careful about how big we think our light is, you know, like that if we're all about that, right? And chen is about, Make sure you're being gracious. May God provide you with chen, with grace, so that you can treat others who aren't as shiny as you in your estimation um, with grace and graciousness, right? Um, and uh, what's the what's the last one? Um, uh, may God lift up God's face towards you. So this sense of feeling the presence of God, God's attention, right? That we get God's attention. Um what happens if you think you're somebody who has God's ear? What, what if you think you're somebody? We hear this all the time out there. It's how religion gets such a bad name, right? So may may God lift up God's face towards you. May God pay you attention. May you be in relationship with God. May you know. May you have the focus of the divine. But but <laughs> right, but but. So may you have this blessing of shalom that's about the world is whole. You know, humanity is whole. You know, it's it's a whole. You are a tiny part of the whole. You are a speck in the beach that is the universe, right? You are a grain of... So just remember, there's a whole thing and you are a tiny... But I just love that interpretation in that, yes, it's a bracha, but also there's an understanding within Jewish tradition, don't get up on your high horse. 
right? Don't get so self-important that you think you have this special relation. You, you know what I'm saying? And I just think that's such a beautiful interpretation in that it's a self-aware criticism of people who want to take this stuff so far that they say, I have God's attention and here's what God is telling me about how you're living your life, right? God hates fags since we're in pride week, right? It's like, that's the stuff that gives religion a bad name. I know more than you do about what God wants. And therefore I get to fill in the blank, impose it on you. The elect people to the Supreme Court who will impose it on you, right? You know, and so um, that is, I think, a beautiful interpretation, cautioning us against spiritual arrogance that I hear a lot of. The other thing you know makes me crazy is when people use religion as a way to blame the victim, right? If you would just let go of some of your anger, you wouldn't have cancer, right? You know, that kind of, or it happens for a reason and we just don't understand, like that stuff makes me nuts because it's arrogant because you know you know what caused my cancer you know like if i were a different way then that wouldn't happen in the universe really that is such arrogance and it is dangerous um and so sforno's interpretation even again even though i don't buy it necessarily i don't even know that they buy it literally but i i love that that's the teaching that they brought forth those medieval commentators who said Let's, let's just be, let's, let's be careful. Like let's enjoy the bracha. Let's turn on the tap and let's not let that make us people who then turn around and do exactly the opposite of bringing bracha into the world. It shuts things down. It makes things small. It's right. You know, it hardens people. It shames people. It's terrible. <laughs> so, um, so I love that. Okay. Now we can go to the sheets. I'm just going to add to that, that it's not, not only does that arrogance have the risk of harming other people, but also ourselves, just, it keeps us from actually knowing our smallness, which is so valuable, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, I was reading one of the pages. What I've learned to what be very is skeptical. a Nazarite? A Nazarite is someone who takes a vow to refrain from drinking alcohol and cutting their hair uh, and for a period of time. Uh, in order to experience a little bit more of the ascetic part of of what being an Israelite would have meant, so okay. kind of refraining, refraining from some stuff. So kind of a, oh. a self help program. Yeah, <laughs> and that and that explains why they get their hair shaved and they drink a little wine. Correct. They're ending that when it's ending. Correct. Yes. Correct. But it's interesting. Even there, that when the Nazarite is done being a Nazarite, they have to bring a sin offering. Which is a very interesting thing, because if you're doing this thing to be closer to God, you know, and like refrain from all that stuff and you're going to write, you're going to get right and clean and be, you know, more in touch, you know, whatever it means for the Nazarite to say that vow and do that and actually go through it every single day, then they have to bring a chatat, they have to bring a sin offering, because it's like, just be very careful that it's like, why would you do that? Because you want to like, what did you say? Yeah. <laughs> because you weren't so you're even with all that fasting you're still not so pure and perfect there's still the heat. don't don't and i think for the rabbis one of the interpretations they bring unless i'm making this up is that there's a little bit of arrogance in i'm gonna be i'm gonna be more whatever you know than everybody else for a year uh, you know what i mean and it's not about being sober meaning a problem with drinking. That is not what this means. I want to be very clear. It's about refraining from a change in mindset that one is purposefully doing. Um, anyway, so I just think the, the rabbis warn a little bit about that. You know, the people who are literally holier than thou, that I think that that's built in to the practices. Okay. Yeah. But, but you got to bring a chatat at the end of that. It's like the joke. You know, You're not Lily White. Look who thinks he's pure. You're really right. Look who thinks he's nothing, right? That's exactly what it is. Look who thinks is, he's nothing. This is where coming from Texas is really handy. We had an expression, don't get too big for your britches. They had that same one in Georgia. So Texas does not have the exclusive rights to getting too big for one's britches. Right, 
don't, don't let the good Lord, don't let, let the door not hit you where the good Lord split you. Right? Yeah. We got a lot of those. Uh, yeah, but, uh, yes, Margo. Margo here. Save us. I, I was just thinking, and you probably might have said something like this, but doesn't this have a tremendous influence on the um, the reconstructionist um, kind of feeling that about the chosen people concept? Doesn't that kind of come into feeling um, arrogant? That For sure, the interpretation of getting rid of chosenness in Reconstructionism is about a sense of arrogance. I want to be careful to say it wasn't necessarily Kaplan's concern that we would be and live into that arrogance so much as we would be accused of that arrogance. I think chosenness has been understood within our people for a very long time as a burden, right? right? It's like, choose somebody else. If this is what being chosen is, choose somebody else. Thank you very much. And that we're chosen to fulfill 613 mitzvot. That really, thank you for that privilege, right? So um, I think within internally within the people, it's kind of been understood. But I think Kaplan's concern was the charge when people read the prayer book in English, when they come to our services, the charge and, and historically the charge that we think we're the chosen people and then what flows from that is just not good. Mm-hmm. But yes, absolutely. And arrogance is about, right? Yes, taking the language of chosenness out. All right. So Rabbi Noah Farkas is talking about why why in this dark book of numbers, why is this is bracha in this book? Why isn't it somewhere else? Right. And he says, I'd like to believe that it is this moment that the Torah speaks the loudest and the deepest in this dark moment of the book of numbers. This is the moment we need to hear this blessing and teaching more than any other. That's because beneath the words of the blessing sprouts the radical notion of prophetic imagination. The blessing concludes with the words, may God's face be lifted upon you and place upon you peace. God alone in the book of numbers is the blesser, the light giver and the peace placer. Neither king nor army has ever or will ever bring us peace. No scientist or philosopher has created peace. No tool ever invented nor political system ever devised has brought us peace. Whether you believe in God or not, believing in the very possibility of peace means imagining a world that we have never known. To seek peace is to use our imaginations to look beyond our collective experience and history and to dream of a different reality. It means to imagine a place beyond the horizon of life and run for it with all your heart, with all your might, and with all your soul. That place beyond what we can see and know is the closest thing I know to God. For as the Midrash teaches, God's name is peace. Beautiful teaching by Rabbi Noah Farkas, who's now president of the LA Federation. Noah Farkas. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, this is Rabbi Yitz Greenberg, who's saying that um, that this is rooted in God's original response to all of creation, right? That God sees everything as good and God wants everything to multiply. The blessing that God bestows on life is not words, but vitality. Out of love, God radiates good energy and power of replication and increase to all living creatures. The Kabbalah insists that these channels of connection between the divine and human, as Mark said, are universally present. The divine energy sustains all living things. All are rooted or embedded in the ground of God. Blessing is being bestowed. Blessing is being bestowed by God onto people. The priests are merely conduits for God's outreach to the people. What the priests must do, says Rabbi Soloveitchik, is empty him or herself of the anger, judgment, jealousy, and enmity that he or she may feel toward members of the congregation or toward the people in his or her life. What? If the priest will exclude the emotional blocks and barriers and respond with generalized love, the divine effusion of compassion, care, and love will flow through the priest and reach the congregants or anyone who was focused to receive the blessing or energy, as well as the grace, forgiveness, and esteem, which is embedded in the divine love itself, right? So I believe this is true of all of us, not just the priests. It's a beautiful teaching by Yitz Greenberg that when we can get rid of, you know, kind of our enmity, our stuff, our judginess, our irritation, our whatever, we can be a conduit for bracha, for blessing for others. But it really takes work sometimes to get out of our own way, to be able to be that to other people because people irritate us so much. Some of us. Right. 
So here's Rashi on that word I told you, emor. Why is there a vav there? Male, meaning the word is full, meaning it's a full vav. Male, why? Why is it male? Remember that word from the night of uh, God psaching over the houses of the Israelites? Aviva Zornberg, there's this whole thing, you will eat it in haste, right? Everything is about quickness, danger, haste. They shall not bless them in haste, right? Ella bekavana. The opposite. Rather, they shall bless them bekavana with deep intention, uvalev shalem, and with a whole heart. I cannot believe Rashi does not know shalem, and the last word of that bracha is shalom, right? I, I have to believe Rashi is making a deep commentary. The priest must first be whole before they can offer the bracha that ends in shalom. With a whole heart, they must, a full, whole heart, they must bless the people. That's what that vav is doing there. A beautiful interpretation of a scribal tradition. Um, and so Yael Shai picks up on that, on, uh, on this commentary by Rashi. It's not enough that the priest bless the people with the proper words. According to Rashi, they have to focus, give the blessing slowly and with intention and heart. A blessing is not a wish or a hope. Once uttered, wishes and hopes seem to flow down into the universe untethered and directionless. Blessings, especially the priestly blessing, call upon forces of love and peace in the universe to wrap themselves around the blessee. Giving a blessing is a very active practice and a slightly presumptuous one, bringing holiness into the space between human beings. Right? So beautiful. All right, and we'll close with uh, Rabbi Shefagold. The divine command concludes, so shall they put my name upon the Israelites and I will bless them. Through this blessing, God's name, the divine essence, rests upon us. Right? Because that statement comes after the blessing. So what is Rabbi Gold saying? She's saying, don't read it. That's what you're going to do, right? And then do this blessing. It's, it's said after, because once you bless them with this bracha, my name, my essence rests on them. All of them. The privilege of carrying the name, the essence of God into the world is the greatest blessing we can bear. It is giving and receiving at once. It is the pure state of becoming and being a blessing. When I carry that essence consciously, every moment begins to sparkle with meaning, even moments, to your point, Laura, of suffering, moments of terror, even the moment of my death. Each moment is received by a heart that is as vast as the sea and alive with compassion. Carrying the divine essence is like being a drop that knows the ocean within it. The divine essence makes us infinitely large, certainly big enough to absorb and endure the events of our lives. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.